Let us turn in the Scriptures to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and we're going to read from the verse number 11. Luke chapter 15, we're reading from the verse number 11. And Jesus said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. And will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. And the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring in his hand and shoes in his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Amen. We know that God will add his own blessing to the reading of his inspired and infallible word. Let's just pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful story, so rich and so beautiful, with all of the human elements that illustrate the greatness and vastness of your love for us. We pray that you would touch our hearts and move upon our souls. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. The other evening after the prayer meeting, I was conversing with our brother Noel Shields. Noel and I were in Bible college together. He started Bible college the same day I did. We started talking, talking about those years, talking about friends, talking about people we've lost touch with. And then we started thinking about people that have lost out with God, people who made professions, men who even preached, stood in pulpits, and are now nowhere with God. And it got me thinking, what a deep and terrible challenge that is for all of our hearts, because there isn't one person that is immune from backsliding, from losing out with God. The Scripture says, Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There's no room for pride where the Christian life is concerned. In fact, if we're filled with pride, that means we've backslidden already in our hearts. There needs to be that spirit of humility that backsliding could happen to any of us. The Apostle Paul talked about keeping his body under subjection lest that when he had preached to others, he himself should become a castaway. He was always afraid of 
losing out with the Lord. And that conversation the other night, it got me thinking about this subject of backsliding, and I felt strongly that I should preach on this parable today, the parable of the, the prodigal son. The parable of the prodigal son. It's a tremendous story. Perhaps in all of the annals of literature, there's no story quite like this. You have the, the rebelliousness. You have the, the lack of gratitude. You have a life that was absolutely wasted and spent. And yet at the same time, you have that unconditional love of a father, never forgetting the boy that had wandered away. And there are two pictures, really, from this parable. There is the, the parable of the prodigal son and the lessons it teaches the sinner in relation to the gospel. And the prodigal does represent the sinner, far, far away from God, and yet, there is a God in heaven who will welcome that sinner into his family. And there is that side to the story, but I also think it is a picture of the, the backslider. And backsliding is a dreadful thing. Mark Twain, the, the great and famous author, American author, he was not a Christian, and he married a girl that was a Christian. Her name was Olivia. Whenever she married Mark Twain, she insisted that they should live the Christian life together. And he agreed. But after a few months, he said to her, no, no, I can't go on with that. I can't do that. I've just been a hypocrite. And so he forgot all about faith and going on with his wife's faith, and she lost out with God herself. It all goes to show the danger of an unequal yoke, and it's something we must always teach to our young people. Whenever you're seeking a relationship in life, always seek a relationship with one that's saved, one that's a Christian. Because if you don't, you'll not bring that person up, but they will bring you down. Mark Twain was much older, and they were facing challenges in life. He spoke to his wife, and he said, you need to get back to that faith that you had. And she said, I lost that a long time ago. Lost out with God. And perhaps there's one here today, and you've lost out with God. You're not where you once were with the Lord. And well, you know it. C.H. Spurgeon, the great Victorian Baptist preacher, he, he produced a list to identify what happens when somebody backslides. It's a very challenging list. He says that that person becomes bolder in sin. That person accepts sins that they once felt were intolerable. Now they tolerate things. That person wants an easy religion. An easy religion is perhaps the the being of this age in which we live. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous German theologian who was a political activist against Nazism, he challenged the church in Germany, and he condemned the church in Germany for 
practicing something that he called cheap grace. Grace without discipleship. Grace without carrying the cross. Grace without taking your stand for what is right. He called it cheap grace. He said the church in Germany was filled with people who said they were Christians, who said they were baptized, who took communion, who performed all of the practices of religion, and they said, God has saved me. He has washed my sins away, and I'm right with God. And yet they had no real desire, no real burden to serve God, to be disciples. An easy religion as a sign of a backslider. Christ becomes a stranger to the backslider. He's not your familiar friend. The backslider delights more in hearing and talking than they do in praying and studying the Word. The things that are really important spiritually, they're not important. The backslider regards the means of grace to be a duty and not an enjoyment. We should enjoy God's Word. We should enjoy coming to God's house to hear the Word of God. And if there's not that enjoyment, if it becomes a burden and a duty just to force yourself through the motions of a religion, then there's something wrong with our hearts. The backslider cares more about man than God. Cares more about what other people think than what God thinks. The backslider is more concerned with arguing over trivial things, things that in the light of eternity don't matter. Arguing over those things, debating those things, while other things that are more needful are neglected. The backslider becomes harsh and bitter, judgmental, not loving, graceful, and forgiving. The backslider makes light of preparing for the Sunday. You know, the, the Bible says that we should keep our feet as we come to God's house. We should watch our steps. And yes, it is true, as one brother said to me one time, we should come to God's house prayerfully and we should leave God's house carefully. But when we make light of those things, there's something wrong with our hearts. Heaven and God should be the real interest of God's people. That which motivates us, that which inspires us. And if earth and the things of earth become our inspiration, then we've lost out with God. And Mr. Spurgeon ended his list by saying this, for the backslider, the world becomes the sweetest place. Not the Lord and the things of God. And how is it with you today? How is it with your heart? How is it with your soul? And as I think of that list, I can easily see that I have a long way to go. And the truth is, we all have. And wouldn't it be a wonderful start to this gospel mission if God were to bring the prodigals home? In a sense, the church has become the prodigal church in the world as well. The evangelical church, the church of Christ. The church itself has wandered far away from God. That's why we're not enjoying the spirit of revival that we think we long for, and yet we don't long for it enough. And so let us consider this parable, calling the prodigals home. First of all, let's look at the conditions. The conditions out of which this prodigal son was called. God called the prodigal. That's the great thing about the story. The story is about the young man who was called back. And 
Where was he called from? What conditions was he in? Well, we know he was in the far country. And that is very symbolic in itself. He went into a far country. It speaks of the extremities of sin to which we can wander. Speaks of the depths to which we can plummet. How far we can get away from God. Verse 13 says something else that describes the circumstances out of which he was called. He wasted. He wasted a substance with riotous living. Look at that word waste. That describes his life. It was a wasted life. The backslider wastes that potential for God that has been given to you. Just think of what God has given to you. He's given you abilities, abilities that you can use for Him, abilities that could be a real blessing to the kingdom of God. But when those abilities are focused continually and constantly on other things, those abilities are wasted. They've not been used for the Lord. He gives you money. Now, I was thinking about what the church of Christ has been doing with money that God's people have given, and it's sacrificial giving. We wouldn't have what we have if God's people hadn't given, invested their money into the bank of heaven. You think of missionaries that serve the Lord, not only from our own denomination, but even take this little land of Ulster and the amount of missionaries that are out across the world serving God, and they're there because God's people are investing money into the bank of heaven. They're giving, and some who don't have that much give really sacrificially. And they're not wasting their money. They're using it for the glory of God. Whenever we lose out with God, the money can be wasted in other things. Not giving to the Lord. Holding back from God what is His. God gives us time. The Bible says we're to redeem the time because the days are evil. And... Whenever we're not using our time for the Lord, frittering the time away on things that are of little consequence, we're wasting. This man, as he got into the far countries, he wasted himself with riotous living. He was consumed with self-enjoyment. It was all about himself, what pleasure he could have. He wanted one thing. He wanted freedom. But it wasn't freedom. It was bondage. We should never complain about what the Bible teaches us in relation to how we should live, how we should be disciples, how we should serve. We should never complain about those things because there's no freedom in the world. There's no freedom in sin. Sin is a bondage. Sin is destructive. This young man, he wanted freedom. He wanted to do whatever he wanted. But it didn't give him what he wanted because he didn't have peace. And that's how it is. This was the circumstances. This was the conditions uh, out of which he was called. But let's also just go on and think about the circumstances through which he was called. God allowed him to become uh, uh, placed in a, a really lowly and depraved position. He went far down in that far country. The far country was not the place that brought him up. The far country is the place that brought him down. 
And he had to come down in order that he might start on the road back. So what actually happened to him? Well, he discovered the bitterness of sin. The pleasure of sin were only but for a season. Only lasted for a little while. His friends, they abandoned him. I think it is very striking what we read there in verse 14. When he had spent all, when he had nothing left, there was a famine. He had nothing left in reserve when the hard times came. No man gave unto him. No man gave unto him. There was nobody there to help him. There were no friends. The friends that the world gives you will never stick by you. They'll never be real friends. He lost everything. He lost his money. He lost his living standards. He was down and out. He was in amongst the pigs eating their food. He was in a place of absolute starvation. He couldn't go down any further. The next step down was death. That was the place he was in. And then at that moment in time, verse 17 says, he came to himself. Suddenly he wakened up. And he started to ask himself questions. But that was God working in his mind. That was God working in his soul. That was God challenging him through these terrible circumstances that no one would have wished for him. That he didn't plan for himself. Dreadful circumstances. It was all part of the plan of God to waken him up. Perhaps there has been circumstances in your life. God has been working. God has been speaking. God has been challenging you. God has been calling you. And there has been that awakening in your mind. Oh, I need to get back to the Lord. Of course, there needs to be more than just the awakening. There needs to be the considerations. The considerations as he was called. So as he came to himself, what actually happened? There is food at home. I have nothing here. There is love at home. I have nothing here. There's an old man waiting for me at home. There's no friend for me here. And so he came to himself. He says, I'm perishing with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And so he realized what was waiting for him. When he left the far country behind, he considered it all. He weighed the matter up. He thought he weighed things up earlier on in his life. When he went to the Father and said, Give me now my inheritance. Give me what is mine by right. Give me it now and I'll go away and make a way for myself in the world. He thought he had weighed it up. He thought he was making the right decisions. But now he realized it was all a big mistake. It was all foolishness. And so he saw things clearly now. I need to get back home. I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. What have you got in the world? Dear backslidden friend, you're not with God the way things used to be. And what is there for you as long as you're without God? You know, the backslider is the most miserable person on earth. The sinner is happy in the world, happy with his or her sin. The sinner that's not awakened up is, is quite content because they don't know what they're missing. They've never had God's grace reaching down into their lives. They've never had that happy moment when they've turned from darkness to light. They're still in the darkness. And so they know no different. But the backslider does know different. 
The backslider knows what it is to walk with God. The backslider knows what it is to serve God. The backslider knows what it is to experience the joy of forgiveness. Whenever you turn your back on the Lord, the backslider becomes the most miserable person on God's earth because you're not living for the purpose for which you were designed by the plan and purpose of God. And so there needs to be that consideration that there is a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. But let's think about the contrition, as he was called. As he weighed this matter up, he, he made a plan in his mind. What am I going to say to my father? How, how am I going to approach him? Well, if you notice what he did in the verse 18, it is significant. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. It was a humble path he was taking. I've sinned against you, but I've also sinned against heaven. He realized that he had failed God. That's what he wakened up to, admit. There was that deep humiliation heart and soul. He was going now to abandon his sin. There was no such thing as being half-hearted in the matter. He was going to turn his back on the old life and come to his father. But as he came to his father, he was going to fully admit to his wrong and to his sin and to his wickedness and to the spirit of his heart and of his soul. There was going to be that humility of heart and mind as he came before his father. There was going to be that confession and he was going to say, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. I don't deserve to be here. If I'm just one of your servants, make me as one of your servants, I'd be happy with that. Just as long as I, I can be home again. And so you see that contrition of spirit and heart. He was going to go. And he was going to put things right. And there was going to be that full acceptance, taking ownership of his sin. Of course, he didn't come to himself whenever he was enjoying his sin. He only came to himself and he realized the bitterness of his sin. That was a sad thing. He had to go a long way down before he could make the journey back. Perhaps you have not gone that long way down. But dear Christian friend, be careful because God will bring you back. But you do not know the path that he will allow you to go on before you come back. So don't play fast and loose with God. There's only one time for getting things settled with God and it's now. It's now. But the last place there was compassion the compassion as he was called. This is ultimately why it is a story of sin and of rebellion and of ingratitude. It is all of that. But it is ultimately a story of compassion, of unconditional love, as I have said. The love of an aging and heartbroken father. A father who watched that road every day. A father who never gave up praying for his son. A father who kept his eye open 
And we're told that when the son was yet a great way off, his father saw him. He knew who it was coming. He knew by his gait and by his walk. The prodigal son, after all, was now in a position where he was hardly recognizable. He'd been living in filth and squalor. But the father knew who it was. His father wasn't ashamed to hug that body that was stinking of the pigs. He took him and he hugged him and had compassion. He fell on his neck and kissed him. There was sympathy. There was reconciliation. There was the arms of love. There was a welcome home. There was everything. It's such a moving story. But it's also such a symbolic story in terms of what the father did. Because we have the son doing what he said he would do. Some people say what they say they're going to do, and, and, and they don't fully carry it out. But this man, this prodigal, he, he said, did exactly what he had planned. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. No more worthy to be called thy son. But what did the father do? Bring forth the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring in his hand and shoes in his feet. It's so symbolic. The robe, the robe covered the body that had been wasted with sin. The robe speaks of Christ's righteousness. It, it's that awareness that we are forgiven and we're in the family of God. The robe. And then there was the ring. And the ring speaks of authority. It, it, it was the Father's ring. It gave him authority to be called the son of his father. God brings the backslider back and restores that one to complete favor. The shoes on his feet, a new purpose, a new walk. Everything has been made different. And then the father is not ashamed to bring in the, the neighbors and friends and call the whole household together to kill the fatted calf, which was reserved for the most special of events. My son was dead. He's alive. He was lost and is found. They began to be merry. I think of what David said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Let's pray. Have you wandered from God today? You're not in that right place with the Lord. We're on a threshold of a gospel mission. God has been speaking. Are you going to give your heart to the Lord afresh today? Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Lord, forgive me for my prayerlessness. Lord, forgive me for my lack of love for souls. Lord, forgive me for this heart that has been wedded to the things of this life. Lord, take this candle that's burning with a low flame and let it burn with fire for you. Lord, I confess my sin. Take this life of mine and use it again for you. Do you have that spirit of surrender? Thank God for the love of God. Let's pray. Father, write your word upon every heart. Give us that desire for you to go through with God. For Christ's sake. Amen. We'll sing the closing hymn. This will be the offer.